So we're in this series uh, called Tearing the Veil, and last week we looked at Jeremiah 1, and I want to continue to look at Jeremiah today uh, before we move on to something else. Um, And we're going to look at a couple of chunks uh, in Jeremiah. And, you know, usually we like to come to a church service and uh, feel built up and uh, go out uh, rejoicing. And uh, today we're going to look at a a text in Jeremiah that isn't uh, so awesome. Because uh, Jeremiah is having a bad day. Uh, what, when's the last time you had a bad day? What what was that like? Because I uh, I have a hunch it might not have been a, as bad as the day Jeremiah is having when we look at Jeremiah. Uh, in our house, we uh, our kids aren't feeling great, and so thankfully my folks are in town. We just left all the kids at home today with my folks. <laughs> 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 so they're they're having their own little worship service at home, uh, but uh, like a twenty four hour flu was passing through that our kids got, and um, so I was here on a morning when my wife sent me this text. Have I ever told you how sticky regurgitated pasta is? Bet you wish you could trade me places right now, but don't even think of trying to come home and steal my joy. <laughs> <clears throat> So I didn't. I, I, I didn't come home. Uh, would hate to steal that joy. But this is, if you know my wife at all, you know this is kind of her sense of humor. And she has this incredible capacity to uh, somehow have joy in, in moments like this. And so I, that's one of the questions I want us to be thinking about this morning is how, how do we have joy in the midst of pain? How do we have joy uh, in the midst of very difficult circumstances? And how do we allow the pain to transform us rather than make us bitter or angry? And so Jeremiah, as we learned last week, he uh, has been called by God to be a prophet. And We talked last week about being a prophet. This isn't a vocation you sign up for willingly. Uh, This isn't something you uh, take a personality test and determine, oh, I'm supposed to be a prophet of the Lord. Uh, This is a calling that God has placed on him. And the, the thing with the calling of the prophets is the prophets were called to speak truth to power. Uh, They were called to call out those who are abusing their power and taking advantage of the weak and the oppressed. And we see when Jesus comes, Jesus is one who cares for the weak, the oppressed, the sinner, the downcast, the outcast. And yet, when Jesus is confrontational, it is almost always towards those in positions of power, mainly the priestly class, uh, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And there is this one episode in Jesus' life, right near the end of his life, where he says to the, those in power at the temple, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He's quoting from two prophets. My house shall be called a house of prayer is something that the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 56, and you are making it a den of robbers is something that Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 7. And so I first want to look at Jeremiah 7. 
God comes to Jeremiah and he says, I want you to go to the temple. And these are the words I want you to proclaim at the temple. Middle of verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord, all you peoples of Judah, who come through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways and your actions, and I will let you live in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. Will you steal and murder, commit adultery and perjury, burn incense to Baal, and follow other gods you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which bears my name and say, we are safe, safe to do all these detestable things? Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And so, God tells Jeremiah, I want you to go to the temple, this house that bears my name, and proclaim this. And so he calls them out for not caring for the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, the fatherless. He calls them out for worshiping other gods. He calls them out for the way they are living and the way they have departed from God's call on their life. And so this is Jeremiah's vocation. This is what he gets to do when he wakes up in the morning. He gets to go and speak truth to power. And so he continues to do this, and I want to skip forward to Jeremiah chapter 20. In Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah has been continuing to prophesy like this, and in Jeremiah 20 it says, When the priest Peshur, son of Immur, the official in charge of the temple of the Lord, heard Jeremiah prophesying these things, he had Jeremiah the prophet beaten and put in stocks, at the upper gate of Benjamin, at the Lord's temple. And so, this priest doesn't like what he's hearing out of Jeremiah. And so he has Jeremiah beaten and then put in stocks. And he leaves him there all night long. And then in the morning, releases him. And so I want you to just put yourself in Jeremiah's place for a moment. And imagine what this is like. God has called you to be a prophet for him. And this is what happens when you answer God's call and obey him. You get beaten up and you get put in stocks. How will Jeremiah respond? Will he respond with joy and say, this is so awesome. I just got beaten up and put in stocks. I want you to remember what we looked at last week in Jeremiah 1, because this is going to be important for Jeremiah to remember, that God has called him to this vocation. Because Jeremiah is at a low point right now. A very low point, and we're going to see that come out. Because in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7, uh, in my Bible, the heading says, Jeremiah's complaint. And so this is no longer Jeremiah speaking God's words. This is Jeremiah speaking his words to God. 
and he has some things to say to God. The first thing he says is, you deceived me. You deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out, proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. God, this is what obeying you has brought me. Insult, reproach, mockery. You deceived me, God, and I was deceived. Verse 9, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak any more in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. I hear many whispering terror on every side. Denounce him. Let's denounce him. All my friends are waiting for me to slip, saying, perhaps he will be deceived. Then we will prevail over him and take our revenge on him. uh, First of all, I want us to notice that in verse 7 and verse 10, these words deceive and prevail are repeated. Uh, The word deceive is patha. It means to deceive, entice, allure, or even seduce. And so Jeremiah is saying to God, God, you led me on. You led me on, and I believed you. I trusted you. But I, I was a sucker. You suckered me into this, and now I'm stuck, aren't I? Uh, Jeremiah is not happy with God right now. He feels like God has led him on, that God has deceived him into this vocation of being a prophet. And so now here he is, standing before God, complaining to God about how God has suckered him into being his spokesperson. You deceived me, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. And then in verse 10, he says, all these people want me to be deceived, and they are plotting to prevail against me. Jeremiah is doing something here. There's a number of connections between Jeremiah 20 and Jeremiah chapter 1. And Jeremiah is remembering something God told him at the beginning of his call, and he's bringing it back to God. And it's this in Jeremiah 1. God said to Jeremiah, they will fight against you, but will not overcome you. The word overcome there is the same Hebrew word for prevail. They will fight against you, but they will not prevail against you, for I am with you, and will rescue you. Jeremiah is saying, that's all well and good, God, that you told me that, but that's not what's happening. That's not my experience right now. My experience right now is that I am mocked, I am insulted, and people are prevailing against me. And not only that, God, but you, you, God, have prevailed against me. Jeremiah is having a bad day. There's something I really appreciate about Jeremiah. He knows he can be honest with God about how he feels. He knows 
he can be honest with God about how he feels. There's a whole section of the book of Psalms called the laments. And they are people like David just being brutally honest with God about how they feel. God can handle how you feel. Because at least Jeremiah is feeling something, right? Because often what happens to us when life happens, when deep pain hits, is we try to numb the pain and ignore it. The, The thing about pain is the way to transformation is not around the pain, It's not burying the pain. It's not trying to somehow ignore the pain. It's going through the pain. To experience transformation, we must push through the pain rather than suppress it, try to go around it, or ignore it. This is very difficult for us because we are good at ignoring pain. We are good at suppressing pain. We are good at numbing pain. Your way of numbing pain may not be drugs or alcohol. It might be busyness. I'm just going to keep myself really busy so I never have to really deal with the pain. Jeremiah is being honest about his pain and how he feels. And he's bringing it to God with brutal honesty. You deceived me. And I was deceived. You have overpowered me. You have prevailed against me. And so at this point, you've got to be thinking, all right, Jeremiah, man, you... You need a new vocation. You need to get out of this line of work. You need to find something else to do with your life because clearly this is not working out for you. There's one problem for Jeremiah with that suggestion. And it's when he says his word, God's word, is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. Those English words, I cannot, are the Hebrew word prevail. What Jeremiah is saying is, God, you've prevailed against me. Others are prevailing against me, but I cannot prevail. I can't quit this vocation. I can't quit this job because it's in me like a fire. And I have to get it out. And so in in Jeremiah's experience right now, it feels like God is prevailing against him, everyone else is prevailing against him, and he's the only one who can't prevail, that God has defeated him, and all he can do, because this word is like a fire in his belly, all he can do is continue to speak the words of God, no matter what it will bring, no matter how painful it will continue to be, he must speak these words. And so he continues in verse 11. 
but the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior. So my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. There's the same word again. And so in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this pain for Jeremiah, he says, no, 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 no. I still trust. I still believe. God's words all the way back at the beginning of my call, and it is that they will not prevail. God, in the end, will prevail. They will not prevail. They will fall and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Lord Almighty, you who examine the righteous and probe the heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for to you I have committed my cause. And then he breaks into a praise. Sing to the Lord. Give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. And so we we see Jeremiah move from this, the depths of the pain and the, the hardship he's experiencing into a song of praise in the midst of it. I, I find this truly fascinating, his capacity to be experiencing something on one level and yet still be able to speak to God with trust, with hope, and with praise. Um, I have a, the picture. Next slide. This is my friend, Ed Dobson. Um, Ed was my pastor for a number of years at a church called Calvary Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And uh, this is a, a church that really formed me in many ways. Uh, it was a massive church, and Ed was a phenomenal pastor. And uh, this is a church out of which I helped uh, plant another church with a, a group of other people. And often when a, one, one church is planted out of another church, um, the senior leader or lead pastor could, uh, could have control issues. Uh, oh, you're you're going to take my members if you start another church, but not Ed. Ed uh, got up at the services at Calvary Church, and he told people about this new church that was going to be planted, and he asked people to leave and go help plant this new church. Uh, There was no sense of control. There was no sense of jealousy. It, It was just, this is something God is doing, and we should support it, and we should be a part of it. About two years into the new church, Ed got Lou Gehrig's disease. And uh, remarkably, uh, against all the doctor's odds, Ed lived for 15 years. Uh, Ed passed away the day after Christmas this past year, uh, 2015. The, The last time I got together with Ed was about probably six years ago. Uh, about a year or so before I moved here. And when I got together with Ed and gave him a hug, uh, he was skin and bones. And we went out to an Indian restaurant and uh, got our glasses of water. And as Ed picked up his water, his hand was just shaking like this and water sloshing out of the cup as he raised it. 
to his mouth. And th- this is a man who he, he had to resign in 2005, uh, ten and a half years before he passed, because he couldn't continue to do uh, all the demands required of him at his church. And something I really appreciated about Ed is he was honest with God about his pain. He was honest with God about how he was feeling. He was honest with God that life just isn't fair, is it? We don't have good answers for why something like this happens uh, to an incredible man like Ed Dobson. Uh, But it happened. And Ed is, is a man who chose to push through the pain rather than ignore it, rather than grow bitter, rather than grow angry. He pushed through the pain and continued to remain faithful uh, to God and what God called him to. Uh, Kevin, the next slide. So there's Ed in the Jordan River uh, baptizing some long-haired hippie guy uh, with my friend Rob also baptizing him. Yeah. You know who that guy is getting baptized? That's me! (laughs) Now you know. Now you know. (laughs) All right, next slide. Uh, Here's something Ed said. He said, I I know that God and, and his grace are sufficient for the moment I find myself in. When I wake up tomorrow... Whatever the challenge is, I know God will be there and will provide his grace. This is my hope. This is my strength. Ed, I don't know what he experienced in those 15 years. I don't know all the pain, all the hardship, all the heartache he carried with him. Um, I I know there was a lot, and I know there was a lot for his wife, Lorna, a lot for his three children as they watched their father slowly deteriorate. Uh, What I do know is that somehow in the midst of it all, uh, all of them remained faithful to God and chose to push through the pain. Uh, When life happens... When hardship hits, we can choose to grow bitter, or we can choose to grow better. Uh, We can choose to be deformed by the pain, or we can choose to be reformed by the pain. We, We can allow the God of the universe to somehow work through the pain that we do not have good answers for and experience transformation or we can choose to give up and walk away. And don't get me wrong, there were times Ed felt like giving up. There were times, even after he would say something like this, where he would still question and doubt and and be frustrated. But he always came back to God's grace to hope, 
and to trust. And somehow being able to continue to be faithful to God's call in his life through the hardship and through the pain. Jeremiah is experiencing hardship and pain, and in the midst of it, he's somehow able to sing a song of praise. Uh, But the chapter doesn't end there. This is the thing about Jeremiah. He is at the depths. He is at his lowest point. And in the midst of it, he says, yet I will still praise God. But then he immediately goes right back to the depths. In verse 14, cursed be the day I was born. So he he moves from a praise, a song of praise to God to, ah, forget this. Cursed be the day I was born. May the day my mother bore me not be blessed. Cursed be the man who brought my father the good news, who made him very glad, saying, A child is born to you, a son. May that man be like the towns the Lord overthrew without pity. May he hear wailing in the morning, a battle cry at noon. For he did not kill me in the womb with my mother as my grave, her womb enlarged forever. Why did I ever come out of the womb? to see trouble and sorrow, and to end my days in shame. Yes, that is in the Bible. (laughs) This is a deeply low point for Jeremiah. And it, too, connects back to Jeremiah 1. And he is reminding God of something God said to him at his call. And he's saying, now... You deceived me. In Jeremiah 1, God said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And Jeremiah is at such a low point. He's saying... I wish you wouldn't have. I wish you wouldn't have. It's not worth it, God. It's too hard. Brings too much sorrow. There's too much suffering and pain in the world. I just simply can't bear it any longer. It's not worth it. When you read through the entire canon of the scriptures, you would be hard-pressed to find a a character in the Bible at a lower point than this. Um, Maybe Job, maybe Elijah at one point in his life, Uh, perhaps even David. But you notice as I I say these names, these are people we revere. These are like heroes of the faith. And all of them, at some point in their life, were in the depths of sorrow, depression, and not knowing if they could go another day. And I don't know about you, but for me that brings me great hope. That these heroes of the faith, themselves were in the depths, not knowing if they could push through, but did. 
because God was present to them. Just as God is present to you. And this morning, perhaps you feel in the depths. And if you don't, I don't think you would have to look very far to find someone in your life who is. And so if Jeremiah's experience doesn't specifically speak to you and your experience today, it does speak to the experience of someone in your life who is in the depths. And I simply want you to know, or or that person in your life to know, that somehow in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of I don't know if I can go another day, God is present. And somehow, if we allow it to, the pain can and will transform us more and more into the image of Christ. We know this because it is that same Christ who experienced more pain and more suffering than we could ever imagine. It is the same Christ who on the cross was able to both say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is the Messiah. This is the Son of God, the creator of the universe. This is the Christ who says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in his next breath is able to say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. The cross shows us that pain can and will transform. And we also know that the cross did not have the last word. Resurrection has the last word. And that is our hope in the midst of the pain. That our cross experiences, our experiences of shame, our experiences of of pain and suffering and heartache do not have the last word. Hope has the last word. The resurrection has the last word. The love of Jesus has the last word. And it's the same Jesus who died a brutal, violent death, who also conquered death and brought us hope of a resurrected life. A few thoughts I want to share with you in closing. Next slide. When we cannot find meaning for human pain, we can either become bitter or we can become better. We can either become cynical or we can become hopeful. These are the choices we face in the midst of heartache and pain. Uh, What will we choose? Will we allow the pain to transform us? Or will it make us angry and bitter? And then this quote from Richard Rohr. 
If we do not transform our pain, we will most assuredly transmit it. From the audible response, I don't think I need to say anything more about that. I was, but I, I think we can just sit with that. We don't want to transmit our pain, do we? We want to be bearers of hope, people who bring hope in the midst of pain. So this morning when we come and we take this bread and we dip it in this cup, we remember, we remember the pain. Christ's body broken and his blood poured out. Jesus was broken and poured out for us. And when we experience life to be life that breaks us, open, and pours us out. When we experience life in such a way where we say, I just don't know if I can go another day bearing this much pain, this much hardship. We remember that Christ is with us in our pain. And he has experienced all the pain and hardship and heartache we could ever imagine. He is present with us. Uh, Rebecca, can I have that Psalm 34 quote? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. We serve a God who is near to those who are broken. Uh, We serve a God who is near to those who feel beaten down and crushed by life. He is present to us in the pain. And somehow through it, we become more transformed into the image of Christ, a people who can bring more hope and more healing into a world that is broken and beaten down. God, thank you that there are stories like this. They're, they're not the stories we often focus on. But thank you that they are there to remind us that there are people like Jeremiah who were called by you, who got to points in their life saying, I, I just don't know if it's worth it. I don't know that I want to carry on any longer. God, thank you for the pain and suffering Jesus went through, that he is with us in our pain, and that ultimately our hope is someday, because of Christ, he will return and there will be a day where there are no more tears, no more heartache, no more pain. God, fill us with more hope. Fill us with more love. Fill us with more kindness and grace. Fill us with more gratitude for the many gifts you give us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
So as you go this morning, may you know that Jesus carries all pain and all suffering and all sin and all brokenness and all heartache. He's with you in it, and he brings hope beyond measure in the resurrection. We live with that hope. May you go with hope, with love, and with the grace and peace of Christ. Amen.